going on, folks? Welcome back to another episode of The Christian Hansen Show. I'm Christian Hansen, and this is my podcast. Welcome to it. It is episode 49, and today's guest is Grammy Award-winning musician Lily Hayden. Uh, Grammy winners ain't the only thing to her name, let me tell you. Um, she's phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. She's composed film scores to several films. I mean, several films. 18 films, documentaries to her credit, uh, including Anita, The House That Jack Built, Sundance Selects Driver X. Uh, she's also done the hit Netflix series, Ginny and Georgia. She composed the music to that. She's also composed the music to recently uh, a documentary called Ruth, Justice Ginsburg in Her Own Words, which was uh, directed by Oscar winner Frida Lee Mock. And she also did another film score to another Oscar nominee, Michelle O'Halen's Netflix documentary, Strip Down, Rise Up. Um, she's just, man, her stories, yes, what she's accomplished is remarkable, but where she came from makes it even more remarkable to see where she is today. Paying rent at eight years old? At eight years old, I don't know what I was doing. Probably being a little prick to my, you know, my superiors because I was a little devil child. Um, I was no saint, that's for sure. Still have my issues. But I can't even process and begin to think about the idea of having to pay rent at eight years old. I kind of may know what that experience may be like because my dad was in a very similar situation. Uh, when his father passed away, he had to grow up much quicker. He had to pay rent at, at, you know, at an age that he shouldn't have had to worry about that stuff at. He should be worried about hanging out with friends, you know, you know, interacting with people's age and just doing kid things. But he had to grow up quicker too. So from that perspective, I kind of could understand a little bit about her story. I can't reconcile or compartmentalize with the experience though. I can relate and understand her, um, her description of that experience because of my father, but uh, I'll never know what that's like. Paying, paying rent at eight years old, growing up on welfare, plowing through it all to end up where she is today. Uh, I mean, she even graduated from Brown University with a degree in political science. She's an activist. Um, I, I mean, just thinking, just looking back and reflecting on the conversation and, you know, just everything about her is just remarkable. Um, some of you comics who've been on the show who are listening, if you are, if you're new to the show and love comedy too, welcome. Welcome to the show. You may not know this, but now you do. Lily's mom is iconic comedian Lotus Weinstock. Iconic for many reasons, but she was also, she's the first woman ever to hit the stage at the Comedy Store in California. Iconic indeed. Man, she was on the show. I can't, I can't, I can't believe it. Lily Hayden, uh, so engaging, so much fun. You're going to listen to that interview right now. This is me doing the thing with Lily Hayden. Enjoy. <laughs> Hayden, is it Hayden? Is it else? Hayden, yeah. Hayden, gotcha. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you doing this. Um, I, I looked into you quite a bit. I watched some of the movies that you've you've scored. Um, I watched Ruth last night. It was a great movie. Very good movie. Thank um, you. I guess you know I kind of will start there with that stuff. There's a there's another guy that I know who's actually from Chicago, Andrew Bird. He he uh, he does a lot of you know he'll, he'll, he scored a recent film too. Um, I, I'm fascinated as to how that works, right? Like, they give you this film, uh-huh. nothing. It's just you watch the film with nothing, right? Well, sometimes they have what they call a temp track in there, which is uh, temporary music, which, uh, you know, like, sometimes it's, sometimes it's John Williams, and, you know, sometimes it's Hans Zimmer, and sometimes it's your own stuff. Um, or sometimes it's something that you think, oh, my gosh, I don't, know why they chose that uh, and then we have uh, what, we, what we call a spotting session so we go through the film we say okay this is working this isn't working i think music needs to be here this is this is what i like about the temp track um and sometimes but but our favorite thing is to just not have anything there and say you know what this is what comes to me what if i did this and, uh, and, you know, when you have a good relationship with the director, they'll let you try stuff. Yeah, no, uh, it's, it's great. I mean, I think we over, I don't think we 
we really realize how important that track is, right? Like the, the music to what's going on. Oh, definitely. It can change everything. Change if everything. I were a director and I had to hand my movie over to somebody else who didn't, who didn't love it as much as I did. You know, sometimes directors work on things for, you know, 10 years before they reaches the composer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a composer can make or break it. Yeah, no, no kidding. But uh, I, I liked it. I, I, I listened to the reason I've, I've, uh, I know a little bit about Bird is because he was on Marin's podcast and, and I'm obsessed with his show. But it is it's interesting. The same thing he basically describes what you described. Uh, it's got to be nerve wracking, though, right? Like this is this is someone's baby. It's like here now you 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 do your thing on it. Like you can literally change the mood, kind of not the outcome, really. I mean, the script's the script, but you could change the the dynamic of it. You can change the feeling that people are left with for right. sure, for sure. Yeah. Now that's not the yeah. first one you've done either, right? Yeah. I mean, you've done. I've you done, worked with Zimmer. Uh, I was part of Hans Zimmer's team for a little while. Um, I did a bunch of movies with him as a violinist and singer and an improviser um, uh, at times, and uh, and I've scored about eighteen films. And this uh, is and Ginny and George is my first uh, TV series. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I mean. I feel like the past year, obviously, you've had, would you say, more opportunity, right? More new experiences, having kind of, you know, these weird recording projects. Were, were these some of these done via Zoom? I mean, how, how was the past year recording-wise for you? Uh, you know, different uh, different things. I Yeah, what I would do is if I had to record somebody uh, who wasn't able to come over because of the, the pandemic, um, I just have them put up a FaceTime in the room and I'd kind of be there as if I was just hanging out. Um, and, uh, off, cause I'm, I'm very specific about what I want and I, and I, uh, you know, different feels, you just want the magic, you know? And so it really, you gotta be in the room a little bit, but, but FaceTime kind of, it's the next best thing. Yeah. It, 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 it does well. Right. I mean, what do you, what else are you going to do? <laughs> Um, but then also I was able to like, for instance, uh, I recorded a lot of my own, like I play a lot of stuff and mm-hmm. I play and sing a lot of stuff. Um, and I also have what we call uh, like sample libraries. So I've got lots of instruments that, you know, are basically I can approximate and then I can get, you know, and then, uh, and also my husband, uh, Itai Disraeli with whom I have a band, uh, called Opium Moon. Um, he is a multi-instrumentalist and he'll play for me uh, a lot. So, uh, so he was my secret weapon on, on a lot of this stuff. No, that's great. Now, the way to get those too is you, the journey's interesting. First off, how an Ivy League, you know, Ivy League, um, you know, <laughs> for to where you are now. But before that, where you came from, right? You didn't come. No, you didn't. You didn't have this. Oh, easy peasy journey, right? I mean, you've come. You've come from a tough place and you've made something of it. Um, and that's admirable beyond belief. And I, I noticed there's definitely certain patterns between, uh, you know, either Ruth, right? Ruth and you as well. And I know she was oh, someone that's very, uh, you know, you admirable to you. Um, obviously, yeah. activism, certainly hers reached a different scale, but activism is activism. Ivy League grad. Yeah. And then Judaism. I know, are you, is religion something that's, is it something you practice? I know uh, family, you know, it's, it was big in your family, but it was just something that you followed. Um, so I'm a person that believes that everything is divine, that, that if there is something called God, you know, there's certainly, you know, we may not be able to say definitively what, you know, how we came to be, mm-hmm. uh, you know, even the scientists can, you know, there are unanswerable questions. Yeah. Um, but uh, I believe that there's definitely, you know, you'd have to be a complete self-centered jerk to not say there's something we don't know. Sure. Um, <laughs> you know, and uh, so I, I'm a spiritualist um, mm. where I believe that we're all, that everybody is a spark of the divine. Uh, I'm a, I, I believe that everybody's got something to teach me. Um, even, you know, even the devil is just God in disguise in a mm. way. That uh, that even you know that that we we vilify people at our own peril. You know, we'd like to say, well, that person's evil. You know, that person is doing things that we you know that may not jive with me. Sure. But uh, but I I think 
we have to understand that we're, you know, we're all connected. And if this pandemic has taught us anything, it's that we are inextricably linked. You know, if just because, you know, if you don't want to wear a mask, uh, but you're in the grocery store and you, you get your COVID cough all over my apple and then I go home and I get it, you know, we're connected, uh, you know, and, uh, and I got COVID over the summer, over last summer. And uh, it was, it was pretty scary. And I got it from a guy who was, you know, who didn't believe he thought it was, you know, a hoax. And, uh, uh, but what, what it did was it made me realize, you know, it just brought me back to the breath, you know, mm. when you can't catch your breath, and you know, then you realize how important it is. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that is the seed of mindfulness is basically paying attention to the breath. So when you ask me about religion, uh, you know, I respect I respect anybody who's passionate about anything, and uh, and I've certainly had powerful religious experiences, mm -hmm. and I believe that other people have certainly, but I think that that revelation has to be living and breathing and it has to happen in the moment otherwise it becomes dogma mm, interesting you took a real real intellectual <laughs> spin on that i'm sitting here like yeah totally yeah well, <laughs> penetrated you know, by I mean, skull i don't mean to go intellectual the truth is where i'm really coming from is the heart you're and, educated uh what i'm really coming from is is the heart that you know we're all you know that everybody has a story and yes. most people who are behaving in a, in a way that we don't like probably have a reason for it. Yeah. You know, there's probably even, even the, you know, the trillionaires who are, you know, trying to, you know, acquire more and more and more and more and more at other people's, you know, peril. Mm -hmm. uh, they probably feel in their heart that they don't have enough and that it's a void that needs to be filled. So, mm. uh, and the truth about the brain is, that um, you know, different parts of the brain control different parts of us. Sure. Um, the that uh, when fear is ignited, it activates the, the the lizard brain, you know, the fight or flight brain. And when that's activated, it literally hijacks the energy from the rest of the brain. Wow. So people who are afraid aren't don't really have time to like you know figure out what pronoun to, to use. Yeah. You know, they might not feel like being compassionate toward, you know, and being like all multicultural. They might feel just afraid and want, you know, so we have to, we have to have compassion. How uh, meeting people with more confrontation and anger um, and facts, all it does is reinforce the fear that causes people to behave in that way in the first place, mm -hmm. which is why we're in the situation, um, right? I, which is why I what was that? Is this why our country's where we are too? It's so sad. Well, that's where we are, and that's also why I wrote the song called "More Love." More love. And why I I uh, called my album "More Love" because there's no problem in the world for which more love and understanding is not the answer. Mm, absolutely, and, you know. I think I I I like about you, and then I could bring back to Ruth too is the idea of um, you know doing something that hadn't been done before for her it was you know entering a space that was you know for for years a male dominated you know uh what is it a male dominated area right uh not many women inside but she basically broke down the barrier and was conforming to an anti-conformist mold which in turn paved the way for everyone else and it's so strange to, to look at it and be like removed from the equation and you know i'm I don't even have to even be talking about her, but just in general, how one person can change. Oh, so much! Yeah, everything. You know, I mean, would women have as much rights or be on as level of a playing field today if you remove her from the equation? Oh, definitely not. And you know, it's wild. Somebody, well, look, we're all standing on each other's shoulders. Mm -hmm. um, you know, everything that we do is informed by people who came before us. Mm -hmm. So. You know, we can, we can, one of my favorite stories is um, when they interviewed Nelson Mandela mm. um, about uh, the former president of South Africa's death. Mm -hmm. This was de Klerk, the guy who 
had the opportunity to release Mandela from prison 10 years earlier, there was public opinion. I mean, there was enough public support. He could have very easily released Mandela from prison oh, 10 wow. years before that. But he chose to keep him in prison for an extra 10 years. And when they went to Mandela to say, so what do you have to say about de Klerk's death? He said he was an essential you know, an essential piece of the puzzle that led me to this moment in time. Wow. And it was so, uh, you know, so gracious, gracious and graceful and kind of like, it just really moved me to, to see how a person could, could understand, you know, could have compassion for mm -hmm. his oppressor i mean his literal oppressor you know we talk about like not feeling safe with people like who don't like you know who think that we should be called a certain thing or right. whatever but this guy actually was like no you are in prison <laughs> 10 more years and he made sense of it by saying he brought me to this moment in time you know so and it's with that mindset that i try to look at everything as you know how is this a gift how is this bringing me to the next moment in time mm. Absolutely. You know, as you sit here and talk and I look in the back and everything and then think about after watching your TED talk, it's still, it's, a, it's, it's awesome just to see what you've, you know, where you are today. You got the gravity back there and everything. Because um, growing up, obviously, um, I was fortunate enough to have a pretty, you know, I was, I'd say I was gifted, right? I grew up in a nice house, nice shelter. I had, I had everything every kid could dream with. It was a little, I didn't have to grow up as quick as you. Um, how, how did that experience for you personally kind of mold you into who you are having to, you know, kind of speed up the process of maturing at a relatively young age? Did, did that mentally, did that mature you quicker? Did that, 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 that affect you uh, later on? What does that still affect you knowing that you couldn't have an experience maybe that? everyone else could have if that makes sense was how trying was the formative years for you dealing with what you dealt with and coming out of it um well you know i think we all have our trials and tribulations even you know a kid who's given everything mm. you know i'm sure we can go back to you know i'm sure you had you know like we all i, I i'm a kind of i mean yeah there are people who have I guess basically what I'm saying is it's all a relative, right. you know, everyone has a, their issues. So yeah, I grew up on a commune with my single mom. We were on welfare and my dad was a conspiracy theorist running from the law who had weapons and was a drug addict um, and uh, was mentally ill. So mm. yeah, I had, you know, I was scared. Like there are things that have definitely shaped me, uh, but I think that we're just very adaptable as beings, you know, um, uh, I mean, it's cliche, but what doesn't kill us makes us stronger, you sure. know? Yeah. Um, so uh, I think that, that if we're lucky, the challenges make us deeper and have more compassion for other people who are going through mm. stuff that's either similar or worse. Um, and even, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, growing up as I did, it gave me a real passion for social justice because mm. I felt like, you know, uh, you know, I, I really feel for people who, sure. you know, I, you're getting the short of the vulnerable people who, you know, just can't get a break, you know? Mm -hmm. So I always try to do, I wanted to be a human rights lawyer um, in college. I was studying to do that and realized wow. that it was going to be a better path for me. Um, but I still do, I, you know, I'll do, this is part of why I love doing documentaries about important subjects like Ruth Bader Ginsburg and, um, you know, just any kind of, uh, you know, people that one of the other documentaries that uh, I scored this last year uh, was called Strip Down, Rise Up. And it's right. on Netflix now. Um, and it's about women taking back healing from sexual trauma mm -hmm. and taking back their identities and their sexuality and their sense of self through movement and specifically pole dancing. So it's really fun. And, but I was very moved by that. And I, of course, I mean, 
you know, the statistic is that one out of every three women on the planet has been or will be sexually abused or, or violated. Absolutely horrible. Um, one out of every three on the planet. So you can imagine that that <laughs> means that probably one out of every three women friends that you have has dealt with this. That's Pro- crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it's crazy. So, you know, so I my experiences give me more compassion for, for people who mm. who go through other things. And I just, my, my goal and my, um, my intention always is to connect to other people and to mm. feel other people's hearts, to play other people's hearts through my music, to, to touch other people's hearts through my music. And I think that when we feel something in our own hearts, it makes us more likely to be able to feel something in somebody else's heart. So the fact that I've gone through something makes me more interested in the fact, you know, and in, in what's going on inside your heart right now, you know? And, you know, I want to ask you how you are, you know, I want to know, right. like, I want to, I, I think that if we can just bond with each other on a human level, it, it, this is the beginning of peace. Mm, I hope, right? And that's my goal with my music is, you know, my intention is to to direct whatever energy I have, whatever potential I have, all the gifts that I've been given toward uh, toward the good of, you know, the well-being of, of everyone around me. Mm. And I believe that as because my music is part of that uh you know because my music is an is an emanation of what's happening in my mind that hopefully my music is doing that same thing hmm. well see in that that kind of it makes sense though the film choice right with ruth and then i think it was what the was it michelle o'halen was that the one who directed yeah, uh-huh. the everything you know what you stand for and believe in i mean it's like it's did it are you very, you know, d- do you pick and choose exactly what it is you score? Do you just take every opportunity that comes to you? Because both of those films, the meaning, the purpose, the mission of of the film is everything you stand for. Thanks. You know, I've been, uh, I've, I've pulled in mostly stuff that's in alignment with my, sure. you know, spiritual evolution, so to speak. Um, uh, you know, there have been other things that I've I've only turned down two projects, <laughs> and um, and I probably could have been coerced to to do them because I'm as ambitious as I am, you know, uh, as I as I am principled. Um, I my preference is you know, and my and really what this album this latest album more love is um is uh it's a collection of music that was written for film and also songs mm-hmm. um and it's for films that i this is the sound of the project that i'd like to be making mm. so i think if you just if you create the sound that you want to be making if you you know every building that you see came from somebody's idea right. you know you have to, everything starts with an idea. So uh, essentially, uh, you know, my idea is that I want to use my music to open people's hearts in projects that are, you know, also similarly uh, soulful mm-hmm. and, uh, and heart opening. Mm. Uh, so that's, that's the idea. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to the next collaboration, whatever that might be. That's awesome. Now uh, I have to, you know, I think I can't, overstep this but growing up obviously with with your mom you know being as iconic of a figure she was in in the comedy world what was did did you feel like being you know becoming a performer was there any did any of that feel forced at all did you did you did you put yourself on this pedestal to try to you know follow suit or was it just natural because you see people you know sons or daughters of people uh you know who are at the top of what they do mm-hmm. fall into it for a little bit. And then they, you'd never hear of them again. Did, was it, was it natural? Was there, was there always then the want on your end to do it yourself? Was there ever any, did anything ever feel forced? Well, I'm not sure if your uh, audience knows who my mom was, but my mom was uh, the first woman to perform at the comedy. Yes. Um, her name was Lotus Weinstock. 
and a brilliant comedian. She was also engaged to Lenny Bruce before he died. I don't know if you know who that was, but he was one of the great social, com- you know, like socially minded, uh, iconoclastic comedian. Everyone around her to be this incredibly soulful, mm-hmm. uh, just um, uh, brilliant, compassionate uh, human being who helped yeah. everyone that she met. And um, so I, of course, wanted to be like my mom. And I performed with her on stage um, growing up. And she wrote me love songs. And I wrote her love songs. Um, music was just something that came out of me. I started mm. acting when I was seven. Uh, it's incredible. Because it was it was something fun to do. And it also, I was we were on welfare, so it helped me. I was able to buy my violin and uh, buy my car and pay for my education that way. Um, so it was liberating, you know, it was, I started paying rent when I was seven, you know, um, That's crazy. And, uh, it gave me a sense of, um, what's the word agency, mm. you know, like I had, like, I, I gave me, it, it empowered me. Um, I was never passionate about acting mm. the way I am about music. I mean, music, I can just like, when I went, I remember I, w- I went to a chamber music camp, um, uh, at, at 11 years old. And, uh, I remember hearing the, them play and I just sat at their feet and sobbed because I was so moved by the mm. music. It's just, I was overwhelmed with the emotion that it was just flooded through me. And that's still how I feel about music. Mm. You know, not all of it, but, but, uh, you know, a melody or voice, a, a sound, a tone, uh, you know, it can just, it can just crack me open so there's just uh i i never felt pressure to do it in Mm. fact i probably you know i try really hard to to become an academic and a human rights lawyer and a um you know get out of it because my parents were both uh poor you know we were we were really poor when i was growing up and i did not want that (laughs) i didn't want to be yeah i didn't want to be scared about where the rent was coming from um and so i thought oh, i'll be a lawyer and it just you know it i, I just music was my is my heart so no kidding wow but acting actually um has been really interestingly like i haven't really felt the passion to continue mm-hmm. to act so much although i still am in certain things um if people ask me to be but uh but acting gave me a skill in my film composing that has been really uh, valuable uh, that not not every film composer has which is basically to like when a scene's going on Mm -hmm. i'm relating to it in a in a very kind of dramatic and human way as opposed to a technically technical way so i think that that's been really that's been a really valuable tool for me wow that's incredible so obviously orchestral instruments is mainly but do you play? I mean, are you, do you, a lot of the stuff that I hear, I hear guitars on some things. I mean, do you play the guitar too as well? Um, I mess around on it a little bit, but I don't, I, that's not really me you're hearing for the most part. I mean, a, a couple takes if it's simple, but um, if it's, uh, if it's something real, I hear it in my head. I know exactly what I want to play. When I know it, I want to hear. I can play it on keyboards and I've got guitar samples. So I'll like, you know. Uh, I have a sense of what I want to do. And then I'll like get with either my husband, who's a brilliant multi-instrumentalist or uh, a couple of different uh, musicians that I play with. I love a guy named Corky James who played a bunch on the Ginny and Georgia soundtrack. Um, and another guy named Woody Applenalp, who has also played for me a lot. Um, and they are both just master musicians. So I can say, I want something that has a rhythm like this. And I want it to be, you know, remember, you know, remember that song we used to, cause I used to be in my band. Um, remember that song? Can we do that finger picking pattern there and here are the chord changes. And this is where I want it to go. And this is the tempo and here, and I can send them a session and then we can, you know, um, or they come over and we, we can talk about the, the feel and what I'm looking for. But so I, I producing albums over the years has given me a lot of, um, you know, I can work with, with, uh, with, with other musicians and know what I want, which is really, even if I can't play it myself. Well, that's great. I think everyone wants to get to that point um, <laughs> in the field that you're in, but how, how did you and uh, your husband meet? how did you guys find, was it through music? Obviously. 
Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, uh, so he has a wonderful band called Maytar. Mm. Um, I'll send you their info. Yes, I love music. Um, send it. Um, <laughs> uh, it's spelled M-A-E-T-A-R, and uh, it's kind of like funky jazz, Ooh. sort of Middle Eastern music. Um, and uh, they were we were both doing a festival um, about uh, 15 years ago. Long time. And I know, right? Um up till then, I had only ever had the longest relationship I ever had was three years. Um, so uh, anyway, we we met, and I thought he was cute, and he thought I was cute, and uh, but we were both in other relationships. So uh, uh. we, as soon as I broke up with the guy that I had been with, I uh, I invited uh, my husband and his brother to a concert I was doing, and just like you know, under the guise of you know, we're, we're all musicians, we're gonna jam, we're gonna you know, um, and they came and uh, and. Uh, second, he came over. That was it. Fifteen years later, we're that was um, it. Wow, that we didn't get married until two years ago, though. Oh, because um, we were. He had been married before, and uh, and too soon. I wasn't. I'm not a conventional like nobody can, you know, wife me up. <laughs> I'm not a you know like I'm a very fiercely independent person oh that's awesome that's funny so who where are you right now you in la you in california i'm in la and uh, i don't know how many of your listeners are watching but uh this is my recording studio i was gonna say it looks very interesting yeah Uh, wow um we've got a look at that machine room back there and a vocal booth and a little drum and tapestries from my travels wow Um, this is my bedroom uh, yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I don't know if you know. I have a friend who's actually in that that music circuit over there. Originally from New York, he he did a lot of work there. Now he's in LA. Have you ever heard of Zane Carney? You know, I do know that name. Uh, he's what is great. Uh, he he does a lot of jazz. He was in the band Carney with Reeve Carney. Um, he also did. He went to USC Thornton School of Music. He, um, I don't know. He's he's phenomenal jazz guitarist. You should look into him. He's. Uh, I wasn't uh, sure you if you know, knew. Him. Mention my name to him. I believe we have. I bet we've even. I wonder if we've even played together. But I know his name. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure you've crossed paths at some point. But yeah, I just wasn't sure if you know him. So, when when you get out of, I mean, after after Brown, you're there for you did the full four years. After that, what was? I mean, was the degree? Was that something you just put to the side? And music was the central focus. At what point did you really start to? kind of not put in the work you did it you always are putting in the work but kind of focus on putting the degree to something of purpose if that makes sense not trying to sound desponding but was there a time where you put music aside and focused on what you went to brown for well uh so i went to brown for political science um and basically a liberal arts education i just wanted to take classes from the, the best thinkers there and um, you know, I just wanted to be inspired. I grew up in a real hippie environment. I went to public school. Um, you know, I was very driven, obviously, but, uh, and a big reader and, you know, but my surroundings were, you know, artists and, and hippies and, you know, a lot of drug addicts, to be honest, and, um, and a lot of comedians and, you know, everybody was really smart. But there was a there was a lack of formal, <laughs> you know. It was not a it was not a conservative environment. Uh, it wasn't structured. Let's just say that. And so I really wanted to go there and learn how to put a sentence together. I wanted to know how to you know make a thesis and have it backed up with footnotes and be really you know. I wanted to, I wanted the structure of being a real an, an intellectual. Um, and so I went to college and I wanted to. It was a human rights you know, and fairness are everything to me. Um, so, but I, to, so I went to college and then uh, in my third year, and I was doing a little bit of music, but in my third year, my violin got stolen from my dorm room and it caused me, my roommate left the door open and the, and some homeless people came into the, uh, into the flat and took my violin and it forced me to make a decision. I had basically been kind of, I wasn't practicing and it was just kind of like falling away a little bit. And when it was taken from me, it was like, okay, I can make a decision. And, uh, the guy that I was dating at the time was in a band and he got me, he let me, he was able to organize it so I could borrow a violin from the music department. Um, 
And I borrowed it, and when I came home from uh, from break uh, that year and that summer, my mom took me to the uh, to a club where her friends were playing, and I I have perfect pitch, so I was able to just kind of jump up and and jam. And I'd always jammed, I'd always accompanied her, but I just used my instincts and I I played. And after I played, people came up to me and asked me to uh, to to play with them. And it was the first time in my life that I felt like I was holding magic in my hands. People wanted to be like, I, I was so unpopular as a kid. Um, I was, I, I was little, for, I'm still little, but I was, you know, I was, I was also, uh, you know, I was, uh, two years ahead of my grade. So I was even, I was just like complete shrimp, you know, picked on. So, uh, Anyway, so I, this was the first time I felt loved by people. And I was like, oh, my God, I have to. So I started jamming with people. And when I jammed with them, it was like doing drugs. And I didn't do drugs, but this was like, oh, my God, this is, you know, it was like, uh, and I I was, I, I was a virgin. I mean, I was, it was, you know, I was, I didn't. I had no social life. This was everything to me. It was the first time anybody wanted to be near me. And so I, was like, I mean, that, that's how it felt, you know? Sure. And, uh, and so I just started jamming. I spent the entire summer jamming and it was like, okay, I don't even want to go back to my senior year. I like, this is, but I did, I went back and, but people, a couple of different bands uh, flew me back for gigs and it was like, all right, I'll just, I knew at that point that, music was was my heartbeat and uh and that i really was not so anyway when i graduated i just jumped right into the scene and started jamming i was i did as many as 10 gigs a day i mean just jump day from, yeah i mean some like anybody who asked me to play with them i would just i would totally i just like and when i wasn't when i didn't have a gig i would go to clubs where other people had gigs and i'd walk up to the stage with my violin and say can i sit in I, I had no, it was like, I was a drug addict. My, my mom used to call me a jam slut. Um, and I just, I had to play all the time. It was just, I, I, I was so crazed for music that it just, I, that's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to be as good as possible. And I just, and, and I was fearless and I was enthusiastic and I was learning and I really hadn't grown up on, on anything but uh, my mom's music and classical music. So I was hearing, you know, Stevie Wonder for the first time. I was hearing the Beatles for the first time. It was like, if you can imagine, you know, mind blown, mind completely blown, you know, from college on, like onward. And so I'm just playing with, and I just was, and being in LA and being, uh, you know, a young, you know, sort of cute, a girl with a violin who was fearless. I just jumped on every stage that would have me. And when people found out I could play, I got it. One thing led to another and I ended up jamming and playing and performing and recording and then opening with, uh, for bands like Herbie Hancock and, uh, Jimmy Page and Robert Plant no, and, crazy. uh, and Parliament Funkadelic and Roger Waters and, um, and, uh, Sting and Seal and I, you know, and I've collaborated and gotten to, you know, and it informed my own music and I got my own record deals and then recordings turned into film collaborations and that's where this is. So I still make records as, as I've mentioned, but, um, uh, and, and, and of course fairness and, you know, social justice has always been, you know, the, that's the biggest part of my heart next to music. And to me, they're totally linked. You know, the way that I justify it is how I was talking to you. You know, it's like, if I can feel my heart, I can feel your heart. And if you can feel, uh, and then that one thing leads to another. And it's, uh, and that's where peace, you know, that's where peace happens. And this is my way of contributing to that. Wow, no, that's great. Have you ever thought about writing a book? Yeah, I, you know, whenever I, I, I got stories. I mean, you could <laughs> I, write I got a book. <laughs> Um, I read that. So, uh, well, nice. Um, uh, I should do it, you know, as sooner, you know, as, while I can remember all details and everything, um, you know, before things fade into 
you know, generalizations. Nah, that that's so great. That so what's I mean, that was a great response. You get out of there and you do that. Were you have you always then been aside from going to Brown? Have you always been rooted in in California? Aside from going to the East Coast for uh, school. Well, I was born in Canada um, and have sort of, you know, I have, I have dual citizenship. I've sort of clung to my Canadian uh, identity a little bit only because, uh, you know, things can get a little scary in this country sometimes. Um, and, uh, but I have to actually get my Canadian passport um, and renew my U.S. passport. Uh, now that we're, things are opening up again. Um, so uh, actually, my last trip was to India a year ago um, uh, to perform for the TED stage. Um, and it was if we had been there one day later, we would have gotten stuck in India for the pandemic. Oh, was that um, close? Was, yeah, it was very close. Um, so, uh, but I've, I've mainly grew up in California. Um, I, we moved here when I was uh, three. And uh, I lived in New York a little bit uh, for making a couple of albums and I've toured quite a bit, but uh, LA's always been my main home. No, that's great. How is, how do you think the industry has, has changed and evolved? I mean, first off, the congrats on the Grammy, by the way, when you started with, with that project, I, I think the, the category is phenomenal, right? I think it was what, uh, New Age, correct? Yeah, best New Age album. I have to ask you, because I'm a huge blues fan and I feel... Some, like the industry, the respect for genres that you that literally paved the way have been overlooked too. Um, and I'm really, I think it's harder to do what you did. I absolutely think that's why I think being successful in music now and getting to to that point in which you did with Opium Moon is is very difficult. Um, and I don't think it should be. I don't think anything should change. I feel the way the industry has shifted, it makes it harder for for all music to get to that point. I feel like there's, it's it's all about playability, you know, radio play. There's not before it was the blues, and the, I mean, blues paved the way for everything. Now they have That's a ceremony right. down the street at the Microsoft Theater two and a half hours before. I can't even see my my hero buddy guy or jimmy vaughn get up on stage and take a grammy for you being a a uh you know a, i don't know if music whiz is the word but just a music genius right you know music you, you know it uh has has it has that bothered you um seeing the shift in the industry especially in the genre that you're in you did it though you got there it doesn't drive you crazy to see the shift in where music has come to where it is now it's like eh we'll keep this well, eh, it's it's very selective and it's not as inclusive as it used to be. You know, um, my mom used to say the only thing that's fair is between you and the creation. Mm, I see. So yeah. you know, we do music because there's this is our heartbeat. This yeah, is the sound of our heartbeat. Um, it's much harder to make a living as a musician than it was before. Um, you know, when I first started getting record deals, there was real money. You know, I'm still living off of that money. Um, the uh, um, now you're lucky to get. I mean, you know, there's on one hand there's the democratization of music where you don't, you know, you don't have to have a label in order to get your music out there. Um, but there's such a, you know, there's 40 million songs on Spotify or something, you know, and uh, what I'm, what I, what makes me sad is that uh, the, the executives at Spotify are making a shit ton of money and uh, the musicians are making nothing. And, you know, records, albums take, you know, can take as long as 10 years to make, you know, you spend your, you know, the, the way that we suffer over, you know, a piece of music, like, no one play that one more time. You know, I think that one note might be a little out of tune. Oh, you know what? I think, can you make that come in a little bit later? Because I think it'll feel really great if you just, wait. you know, like you, the detail, the, the, the soul, the heart, the, the, you know, you're making this thing that you love so much and you put your whole being into it and then people don't want to pay for it. 
You know, they won't pay one dollar for uh, for something that you put your entire life into. You know, uh, and that makes me obviously that's that that's not cool. And that's been uh, the the way that music has been devalued over the years um, by basically people just being able to download it for free with the expectation that it should be free. Well, I don't want to buy that. I don't want to pay a dollar for that. You know, I don't want that to even live on my computer because I don't know if I like it, you know, and then the only thing people will get, you know, like the only CDs sell at this point, you know, you can't even sell a CD at a show because nobody has a place to play it. You know, the cars don't have, computers don't have a CD, you know, like what do you even sell at a show? People want to leave with something from you. You know, is it a t-shirt? What is it that, you know, and, and how do you even get people's attention? It's, it's Instagram. It's, um, you know, it like, and the stuff that gets the most attention. I mean, I've put on, put stuff up that to me was my most precious, remarkable offering ever. It's gotten, you know, maybe a hundred likes. And then I put a picture of me, you know, with a little side boob and it gets thousands of likes, you know? Um, so it, it, uh, you know, or my kitten, you know, um, it's, uh, a kitten jumping from a table will have 40 million likes, you know, and I'm trying to get you to listen to this thing that I gave my, you know, that I spent my last, you know, five years making. Um, so I wish that, and I think also that comes from music education being cut in schools. People, you know, not really understanding. Like I, I used to be in a studio with these big pop producers and they had never seen you know, when I would have real musicians come into the studio, they'd say, oh, my gosh, you actually make that sound. They're always so used to, like, finding in a box, you know, um, uh, and being happy with that. So I think it's all of our jobs to just share as much beauty as we can, do it for ourselves, and hope to raise the value of, you know, people people enjoying, you know, and teach people as much as they as we can. And the more we, we share... The more, you know, the hopefully more people will value music and then play it and then make it and listen to it and support musicians. Um, I, I don't think this is really a sustainable model because only people who can really afford to do it for free are really doing it now, with the exception of a handful of people um, or legacy artists who've, you know, it's like, yeah, well, that's great. Pink has this new documentary, but she's, you know. Um, like and she's a, she's a phenomenal talent. I love her, um, but it would be nice to be able to you know. I want people to feel comfortable downloading things and buying things from musicians that you know that they just just support your you know support local musicians, support live music if you can, and especially after this year where so many people have just had to you know like oh it's horrible you know I mean because back then like you said I mean you can. You made your money off records. You made your money off sales with stuff like that. Unless you're getting, I think, because I talked to Dweezil Zappa, and I, I used to have another podcast, The Monday Morning Blues. I talked to him in the fall, and he even said he, that's why he started this thing called the Reward Music, where basically everything is for the musician. So every, it's basically like Patreon, but everything 100% towards the artist he he said something like I think for Spotify he said in order to make a livable meet like amount of money I think it's like you need to have like 1.5 million or something crazy streams to just make like maybe 15,000 maybe like I mean the, the the system now is just so wonky that last year I mean you see these people who can't they don't have any money now because everything is you know digital mm -hmm. digital digital i mean everyone's going to youtube download put the link put in a video download free vi nothing there's nothing being made and that's why um there's some artists know that some some artists know that there's some people don't think it's ever going to change like kenny wayne shepherd's one of them who says we just like to play i mean people come to our shows we play that's how we make our money we what we make in sales generally doesn't even amount to the cost that the you know the for the production and what went into making the record oh for sure yeah which is crazy yeah. do you think there's you really don't think there's any way to escape that i don't know uh i mean part of the reason that i started scoring films besides the fact that i just love it is that i saw that uh 
that it was a place where I could make some money uh, from my music that uh, it was not reliant on, you know, Spotify and YouTube and touring and, you know, uh, so, um, you know, that's, that's kind of how I'm balancing out my, my living now. I think, I don't know if it's possible. I mean, your listeners have to tell us, I think there's no doubt that the world has changed. Uh, I, you know, I'm not one of those people that likes to just say, well, this change is bad because it is what it is. And we're gonna, you know, we just have to make the best of it. Started out this interview saying, you know, my philosophy is how is this a gift? Well, the gift here is that, the, that, uh, is basically that anyone can make music and anyone can get it out there. And that is, that is beautiful. Um, you know, uh, I think the more we value music, the more we revere people who are doing something that is meaningful um, and support each other uh, when we make something beautiful, the, you know, and to take the extra couple of minutes and spend the extra dollar to just, you know, go to somebody's band camp or go to somebody's Spotify or even, you know, if your listeners are there and you, you're feeling and you're curious, go to my Spotify, follow me on Spotify or go to my website and you can buy, I do, I am selling physical product to, you know, to people who want it. Um, and uh, you can get it on Amazon and, uh, uh, but go to just check it out and spread the word. And, uh, and if you've got a local venue that you think, you know, would benefit from having, you know, like be proactive. I think the more active people are with, you know, with empowering musicians, the better it will be for, for, for life in general, for everyone's lives. Um, I'm, I'm okay. You know, I'm, I really, my concern is for people who are talented, who, you know, who are coming up now, you know, my advice is usually, is there anything else that you could do that would make you happy? And if there is, do that for a living and then make music as a, as you know, for your joy. Um, uh, and then there are, there are some people like me who like you, you ask me, is there anything else you'd be happy doing? And I really like really happy doing. Don't think that I could do, I mean, you know, I'm sure I could find something. But is it going to make you this happy? I don't know. Music is is my is my heartbeat. So right. that's great. Uh, I'm eternally grateful. No, that's awesome. I I do. I can't. I can't forget to 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 brush over. Um, uh, you know, the experience of working with with Roger Waters too. Um, I mean, because that's a very that's a that's a complex production in itself. The whole setup. Um, it's like seeing a a movie while at a concert it's just a very complex production and stuff like that how did that opportunity come come into the picture and what was it like being a part of of that production that he that he does uh, well i had uh i remember there were a couple of uh really important you know we all have our pivot moments you know, like you know at like 16 you go to see this concert and you're like oh my god i've got to do la 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 or you know, at 20, you meet somebody who's doing, who's just totally, you know, rocking and like, like, I want to do that, you know, <clears throat> whatever it is. Um, well, for me, I remember being taken to a Pink Floyd concert uh, when I was 20. And it was, and I hadn't really been exposed to rock and roll at all. Like I said, I was, you know, classical music and my mom's music, which was kind of folk piano voice um, music. Um, and uh, so when I heard this, it was it blew my mind, and I like said, "Oh my god, that's what I want to do." And then a similar thing happened not too like two years after that, uh, where a band I was in, the leader of the band, took me to hear P Funk, Parliament Funkadelic, George Clinton, and I heard um, Michael Hampton, who was their uh, lead guitar player at the time, uh, doing the classic Maggot Brain. Um, which if your listeners don't know, it's this incredible guitar ballad that's like, you know, probably thousands and thousands of babies have been conceived to this music. Um, and uh, and it when I heard him play, it was so passionate and beautiful and, and, and ecstatic. I was like, oh my God, I have, this is, this is what I want to do. And I... And then all those years later, and I really hadn't had those experiences with other bands. Like I didn't, 
not growing up, it wasn't part of my DNA, but when I heard these, this music it was like, this is what I want to do. And so I was, I, I remember being listening to Dark Side of the Moon uh, on one of my, we were listening to, and I wanted my, it was my album Place Between Places. And so we were listening to a lot of that in the studio before we would record. And I was like, this is the feel, this is the, what I want to do, you know? So my publicist at the time uh, on that album, sent my album to Roger Waters as publicist and on a I was just lucky that the, the publicist sent it to Roger Roger listened to it and then he called me and yeah I got a call from Roger Waters hello Lily this is Roger Waters um uh oh my god I was listening to, to Dark Side of the Moon when I was recording uh my album I know I could tell um <laughs> so I know it was it was clear. Uh, I listened to your album. I really enjoyed it. How would you like to come join me at Coachella on Comfortably Numb? Yes. Um, so I got to do the lead vocal and uh, guitar solo on Comfortably Numb for two hundred fifty thousand people at Coachella with Roger Waters, and uh, and then I recorded for him after that, and uh, that was of course wonderful. I wasn't the first time I'd gotten to play for that size of a crowd, which is, you know, it's a dream come true. You know, it's a sea of people. Um, but the truth is that it's, you know, it, it's almost, you know, you really just have to like, just remember that you, it's all about what you're, you know, what's in your heart, you know, that it, it really doesn't, it's not different. It's actually, um, it, it's easier when you're in front of a, a, a group of people of like 10 people in your living room and you want to play something for them. It's more exposed and it causes you to be more like real with people because you're like you meeting their eyes, you know. Uh, but it's the same thing as when you're playing for 250,000 people. It just, you know, everybody's got a heart. Everybody's got eyes. Everybody's got, you know, you got to be real. And so it's just like, it's a little bit more takes a little bit more discipline to remember to be real uh yeah i'd say but it's it's hard i think it's easier to say than than do right i mean there's when you walk out there's like whoa okay but then once it starts it's just it's what you've been doing your whole life it's so yeah. strange how that happens like you mm -hmm. work some like when i started to do open mics and stuff like you work yourself up and then you get up there and like that was dumb i just overexerted myself for a day for that it's it's, well, it's crazy know, it's I, I I don't really condemn myself for that. You know, it takes, it's, you know, it's the Nelson Mandela theory. You know, it's like, it takes as long as it takes, you know, whatever got you to this moment in time is what was necessary. You know, do I need to do it again? Well, maybe I, next time I could be more efficient, but clearly I needed that, whatever, it, whatever that was, that's what had to happen. Mm, absolutely. Well, one last thing I want to bring up is uh, obviously you the latest record and more love um first first solo one six years was it did did you feel like you had like did you feel like oh, it's been six years probably should put something out or, or was there a purpose was there something fermenting for six years was this a six-year project or was this something like oh i probably should, six years i'm still here <laughs> uh it was a little of both but mostly um uh, mostly that I had something to say, you know, that during the Trump years, uh, I really didn't know what my voice was exactly. Actually, I did. Uh, that's when, uh, I created Opium Moon with my, with my bandmates. Uh, I felt like once Trump won, it was, you know, people didn't, it, it words, you know, words stopped mattering. Facts stopped mattering. Words weren't really... You know, sing, a lot of my friends started singing their protest songs and I had been singing protest songs and, you know, and social justice songs. But it's like, OK, well, do I need to just sing to the people who were already feeling this way? I don't I'm just going to be the change that I want to see in the world, which was uh, so I put together this out, this this band with Opium Moon with my husband who's Israeli and my dear friend and uh, fellow musician Hamid Saidi is Iranian um, who plays Santur, Persian hammer dulcimer and uh, and MB Gordy on percussion. Uh, we're coming out with a new double album this summer, by the way. 
um, it's, I'm really excited about it. So uh, we're shooting a video um, next week that's going to be super fun. Um, and um, anyway, uh, so we were just, you know, like this is, we were making peace through music, through harmony. Um, so we were just simply, you know, the inclusiveness and, and, uh, and respect and, and uh, harmony that I wanted to see in the world. We just are the embodiment of that. So that was, that was what I wanted to say then. And I still want to, it's, it's my favorite music to play. Um, but I've been collecting songs that, that felt meaningful to me, but also my, I'd work, I was working a lot more as a film composer. And, and what I learned from my time as a film composer is uh, I got the courage to have more space in my music. And some of the music that I love the most, you know, Pink Floyd and uh, Radiohead, there's a lot of, there's a lot going on, but there's also a lot of space in there. And so, and in film music, you can even have more space. So experimenting with just like being comfortable with just one or two elements uh, was really fun for me. And I wanted to, I wanted to merge my identity as a film composer with my identity as a recording artist, um, because this is really who I am. Now I've, I've evolved as a, as a, an artist and I still have to rock out, but I don't have to play a million notes. I need to, you know, I want to play the note that's going to open your heart. Um, and while I said that that was what I wanted to do before, I really learned how to do that with film. And so I wanted to share music that sounded like the films that I wanted to be scoring um, and see how they would, you know, and incorporate some of that spaciousness into my songs. And then there are, there's really only four songs on, like four vocal, like lyric songs on the album. Um, and each of those has a purpose. And there are, each of them is, you know, Sayonara is a cry for peace. Um, uh, Circle of My Heart was written for Strip Down, Rise Up. And it's uh, from the viewpoint of, um, of a woman who ha has triumphed over, uh, over um, abuse. Um, uh, the Devil You Know is uh, kind of a quandary about how we think we're like, okay, well, I'm going to choose the devil I know, but just to like maintain a status quo and think I've got control, but you actually don't have control. And then you're just stuck with this, you know, and, and instead of growing, you know, so I really, uh, and what else is, and then more love, which is the, you know, I, I had COVID and, uh, and I realized, you know, and the lyric of that is, uh, broken boy, broken girl, broken hearts for a broken world. Take me as I am tonight. Grateful just to be alive. Life is a miracle. Can't you see? And more love, more light, darkness don't stand a chance against us. So it's a, and it's a real, it's a fun, if your listeners uh, are interested, uh, there's a really cool video that I did with um, a director that, uh, whose uh, last two films I scored, The House That Jack Built and Driver X. And he did a great video for me with, and with a bunch of friends. And um, so, and I, and that experience caused me to feel, to have the confidence to, to release a song that had such a kind of simple lyric, um, kind of almost earnest, but it just, it's, you know, more love, more light, darkness don't stand hands against us, more love. So, um, so check it out. It's great. And, and no, it has, it's perfect though because it's it bring is at the same time that we're exiting something that was uh, a little dark, four years of darkness. So it yeah. uh, is very fitting. I think I'm excited. It should be a good. I mean, I think I really hope we've uh, <laughs> turned away from from what we've uh, you know visited. I mean, just thinking today, what it's been full year since the whole horrible George Floyd incident. It feels like it's been two years. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just so much stuff, so, so much, much emotion, happened, yeah. so much. I mean, people are drain, draining themselves, yeah. fighting for just to have the same level playing field as yeah. everyone else. This feels like it should be so last millennium. You know, it's like, oh, really? In 2021, we're still talking about, you know, like we're still discriminating because because of a person's skin color. It's horrible. Is that the most insane thing you've ever heard? That makes no it's, sense. It's completely 
right. I, I, there's really like it, it's, it's exhausting. Damn thing in the world, and yet people's lives are, you know, are def- sometimes defined by it. And everyone really just wants to be seen and felt and respected for who they really are and the beauty that they have to offer and the richness of their soul. And that's what. Uh, ultimately, I think we're moving toward, and that's uh, that is, you know, I think that's the the next step in our evolution is the ability to really all have an opportunity to reach out and and create that world with each other. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, hey, I appreciate you doing this. Thanks so much for having me. It's so nice to have met you. You bet. Uh, in person or, you know, virtually. And, virtually, uh, yeah. And then also on Instagram. So yeah. thanks. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. You take care of yourself. You too. All take right. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. How about that? Lily Hayden, everybody. Lily Hayden on the podcast. That was amazing. If you like what you heard, be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Or you can check us out wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. The Christian Hansen Show is available there for you to listen. Also, I cannot stress enough. The ChristianHansenShow.com is the best way to support the show and the guests that have appeared on the show. I'll tell you why. So you go there. You go to ChristianAstonShow.com. Beautiful site, by the way. Thanks to WordPress. Love them. Be sure to start your website with them. Go to WordPress.com and get your thing started. But anyways, that wasn't a paid ad. Just love the platform. Love the hosting site that WordPress is. Anyway, back on track. So why going to my website is uh, the best way to support the guest and the show. Let me explain. So you go there. You click on episodes at the top, right? You click on that, and then you go through. I have every single episode of that I've ever released up there. Okay, what's what's the surprise? What's so special? You're probably wondering, right? I get it. So you click on that. Let's say, for instance, episode 49, Lily Hayden. Click on that link. It's going to pull up an in-depth bio on Lily, links to where you can find all of her stuff, all of her music, where you can find her on social media, you can find videos, uh, all everything attached to her you can find on there. And why that helps them is guess what? If you want to see her live, you could do that. If you want to see Anthony Bonazzo live, you could do that. You can go to his website. They have all the dates, all that good stuff, right? Do it. Go to the site, sign up for our email list, check out where all the comedians that have been on the show are going to be performing next. They may be coming to your city and stuff like that. So let's do it. Support the show, support the guests by going to the ChristianHansenShow.com. Man, Lily Hayden, that was something. That was something else. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will see you next time here on the show. But until then, stay safe and be well.